Hello everyone, I'm Wendy Liebman, the CEO and Chief Shopper at WSL Strategic Retail, and this is Future Shop. Today I'm here with my business partner, dear friend and partner in all things shopper, WSL's president, Candice Corlett. For those of you who don't realize the wealth of her experience, she runs all our proprietary How America Shops research, how the world shops research, amongst many other things, including running me to make sure I stay focused. How are you, Miss Candice? Nice to have you. I am very well today, Wendy, and very glad to be with you and will try hard to manage you during this podcast. Thank you. So here's another thing people don't know. They do know that I'm hard to manage, but what they don't know about us is that we are both big baseball fans. And I think that it's only fair since you got annoyed with me the other day because I didn't recognize that the Mets swept the Yankees. Please note everyone, we support opposing teams. But since I didn't recognize that the Mets swept the Yankees and the Yankees are on a decline and the Mets are doing very well, that I should at least make that nod publicly. So everybody, Candace and I are baseball fans with a slight level of competition. Yes, and I was just listening to the game. They're sweeping another one. Very unmets, very exciting, and we'll enjoy this summer. You got to believe. If you're a Met fan, you got to believe because that's all you got going for you is believing. Well, that's that one. Aside from that, okay, so let's get on to things that are on everybody's minds, aside from who's going to win the baseball. What's on everybody's mind seems to be inflation still. Where are we on this journey of inflation? What are the shoppers telling us now in our latest How America Shops research? Inflation translates to rising prices for groceries, for clothes, for basic necessities. Of course, then there's gasoline, which is a whole other manifestation of inflation. But a lot of people we are discovering are able to absorb the rising prices. We're only seeing about 40% of people saying they are really struggling, having to make significant cuts in what they buy in order to pay for the basic things like electricity and rent. 60% of the population is being cautious, but they're not really impacted yet. So as I think about what you just said, 40% are being severely or seriously impacted now. We can talk about where and what people are cutting back on. But of the 60% who aren't, that sentiment that says, yeah, I'm not, but how do we reflect on that, the impact of sentiment on people? You know, I don't want to spend too much. I want to be smart. How are we seeing that reflected in the conversations we're hearing? Where it seems to be reflected most is in pulling back on traveling around in the car. We are not seeing many people say they have to cut their spending in core categories like hair care, skin care, beer, seltzer, coffee. But we are seeing people say, you know, I think twice before I get in the car and go away for the weekend or go visiting people. It's almost like we've been pulled back into a COVID isolation no, I do think about that in the context too of, okay, well, I'm not getting in the car to go away. Does that also mean I'm not getting in the car to make that one-off trip? So I was going to go and hang out or, you know, go to Costco or go to Target or go to the mall. But actually, I'm thinking twice about that. Or is that kind of a manageable, affordable trip? And I can rationalize that versus let's all the family get in the car and go to the beach for the weekend. And for many people, that's, you know, a pretty quick trip, relatively short distance. 
But getting in the car and going to visit people two hours away, that's a whole other consideration and a whole other budget item. You said something important. Percentages tend to mask the impact. 40% of American households is millions of households that are struggling. And I'm intrigued by what they're doing. I mean, they're flocking back to, of course, Walmart which is usually seen as a hard shop. You know, it takes a lot of work, but they're going there because they have to do the work for the low prices. They are flocking to Aldi, Lidl, Trader Joe's, Five Below, as well as Dollar General and Family Dollar. You talked a bit about categories, and I was interested to think about we have the longevity to look back at something like 2008 2007, eight, where we had the global recession and the impact there versus here we are today coming out of two, three years of COVID and struggling with inflation, rising prices. So what's the difference there? I mean, you and the research team did some, some really fascinating work to go back and look at 2008, which many of our clients never experienced 14 years ago. So what are you seeing there? The differences are so dramatic, and it's always the social environment. 2008 was what our research director called a long slog to a crisis. We'd been so battered by the unexpected September 11th in 2001, that tsunami in Japan that wiped out cities. I mean, now we're used to natural disasters, Forest fires, floods, fires in places where fires should never be, like Colorado. We're now almost numb to that. But back in 2008, that was big news. And then, you know, you had the housing crisis where people had signed on for homes that they really couldn't afford. They signed on for variable mortgages that as soon as they switched over to fixed, raised the price of your monthly payment by two, $300. And there was a universal impact from all of that. And then, of course, the financial companies that held stocks and the stocks for people's pension plans were struggling or going belly up. So it was a time when everybody was affected. We had 80% of people saying, I can't control gas prices or my mortgage payment, so I have to cut back on everything else I spend on. It was 80% of everybody and 70% of people with incomes over 100 k And in 2008, $100,000 income was a significant income. And then you look at today, we only have 37% of people saying, I have to cut back because I can't afford it all, and only 22% of the affluent. The impact in 2008 was just everybody was feeling it, and everybody was scared. And today, it's been almost a whiplash. We started with COVID, the pandemic, the social injustices, the social riots, then the soaring gas prices and inflation. And it's all been within two and a half years. When you mentioned categories, I mean, in 2008, we had 70% of people cutting back on something like home fragrance, a relatively small expense, but part of what made your house happy. And now we only have 30% cutting back on that. In 2008, we had 42% of people saying, I have to cut back on my OTC medications. And they did that by buying less expensive forms, by taking fewer pills. Today, it's only 14%. 
I don't know how long this inflation will go on or if it will just be a permanent correction, but it was much scarier in 2008 and it had much bigger impact on every category. I think the other piece too is the almost the elevator drop in 2020, even in the early stages of COVID, right? The market was growing dramatically. So if you had stocks and financial reserves, then there was the money that came in from the government. So there were a lot of other issues there. It strikes me as I think about our clients, you know, manufacturers, retailers who were sitting there saying, okay, now what? And those who either have a reference to 2008, certainly a lot of people in senior management, and those who do not, who are perhaps younger executives who do not have that point of reference thinking this is the end of the world. Those issues, as we think about it, let's say from the CPG side, now what do I have to do about that? How do I have to think about that? In a world that's so digital where people are shopping in so many more places, what will that do to the landscape? So if I'm in health or beauty or food or beverages, pets, all of those areas that we work in, what are the one or two things we need to be telling our clients and everybody else that's listening? What should they be concerned about? Or what should they do? They certainly should be focusing on only 37% of people are cutting back, but everybody else is thinking about how long is this going to go on and how long am I going to be able to keep paying for eggs and milk and bread at these exorbitant prices. So I think that as we learned once before, your strategy has to be, how am I going to keep people in the brand? The brand strategy has always been to upgrade the form, to add more intriguing ingredients and charge higher prices. We may want to put that strategy on the shelf for a couple of years and think about how do I make the plain vanilla version how do I make that more attractive, more affordable, and promote that? Because people are just, they're on alert. Well, that whole trend around premiumization of so many things, right? Whether it was ice cream or whether it was foundation. I heard that at a client meeting when I presented to their national sales meeting a few weeks ago, and they were talking about all the premiumization they'd done. They were about to go through their second round of price increases and how they were all going to deal with the retailers and all of that. Is that horse out of the barn or whatever that expression is? Because now I, as a shopper, have become used to that kind of quality, but I'm not going to be foolish about my spending. So now I have to step back and say, well, maybe I will squeeze that tube one more time, or I'll use a cheaper equivalent, a, a private brand or trade down. Or is this about new innovative ways of creating value? Premiumization to me is just another way of saying, let's create value around more premium ingredients. We've become very good at that. And shoppers have become very good at saying, oh, that's an added value. You know, it's a pure form of collagen. But now it's going to be different. Now people are going to be saying, can I really afford that pure form of collagen? Or do I care enough, right? I think it's raising awareness about how willing we were to spend an extra dollar, an extra two dollars. It's extra dollars. And can I take the just the regular tablet instead of a gel cap? Can I take the 12 hour instead of the 24 hour? Um, how do we keep people in the brand by acknowledging that they want less expensive choices and premiumization is going to have to wait for a while? I also wonder about the other things that have been costing people more. We've talked a lot about 
issues around sustainability and organic and free from in lots of different categories. We would see in our data this willingness to pay more for that, the willingness to pay, and even it was a little bit more, the willingness to pay a little bit more for more sustainable options, the willingness to pay a little bit more for more convenient options. Do we now have to, as companies, reassess that as well and say, listen, in good times, people were willing to do that. But now people still want that, but they're not going to be willing to pay the kind of premium we might have been asking for. That's exactly right. And when you are faced with the harsh reality in one category, it makes you aware in others. If you look at produce, we were all determined to buy organic apples and berries. Well, now organic apples and berries are eight ninety nine a pound compared to the tainted versions that are four ninety nine a pound. And can I really afford to pay that much more, especially when I have three children who are eating berries like popping M&Ms? It's expensive. Yeah, I noticed that the other day because some of my benchmarks are things like organic milk. And I looked at the price, even the store brand of organic milk, and was like, oh, my heavens, that's expensive. And then that raises your awareness in other categories. The other thing I think about here is the kinds of choices, not just within those categories, but it feels like we just got went to go out to dinner and now, oops, maybe we can't afford to go out to dinner as often. We just took our masks off and put our lipstick on. Those kind of choices that to me are framed up in a lot of things we said in our Future Shop study, where we said there's this sort of duality going on. On the one hand, lack of certainty, lack of surety. And on the other, I just want my life back. I want some control. So within that, the choices, the little treats that people are willing to pay for versus, you know, I'm cutting back on it and understanding what that really means becomes a much more nuanced approach to marketing, it feels to me, and to category management and to how we're talking to our retailers about how they merchandise, how they promote, not just thinking about the choices within the aisle, within the category, but also that broader macro choice of, am I going to even bother about that category for a while because I really want to take control of my life and get a little enjoyment in another category? It's not really a question, but it's just me positing. As we're positing, the one aspect of spending that we haven't touched on is convenience. And that is something that people are not willing to give up. And you can see that in everything from the bagged salads, and you can rationalize that it's smarter to buy the bag because all the other things don't go to waste. But the bagged salads, the getting in and out of the store quickly, Curbside pickup, which is now a $5 fee, whether you're going to ShopRite or Target, there's a fee for someone walking around and picking your groceries. All of those things that make our life easier and take the stress out of it, that's what people are still going to be willing to pay for. They're going to be willing to pay for time. That actually, to your earlier point, is this whole conversation about if I look at the entire shopper, put the whole shopper in the room, as we always say, that I think about that as a value proposition. I'm juggling sometimes home at work, sometimes office work, the kids, life, all of those elements. And actually, even though I'm paying whatever that premium might be, that in fact, in my calculation is worth it because it's saving me on X, Y, and Z. So I do think as our client's 
manufacturers and retailers talk about or consider what is a value they have to think in that broader sort of shopper ecosystem of what those trade-offs look like. Not assume, but also understand the nuances of all of that. Well, and that's right. And it's outside your brand. Right, exactly. That's why I hate category management. Is that a bad thing to say? No, it's outside of the category. It's outside the brand. It's about people saying, I will pay the extra $5 to have my groceries picked, but I'm going to buy the least expensive item in the skincare brand I like. And I'm going to buy the least expensive version of the pasta sauce that I like. I'll forgo the fancy and I'll forgo the organic, but I have to make it convenient. I do recall in 2008, one of the discussions we had, it was trading things off in the equivalent of, okay, a magazine's $4, a Starbucks $4, how many gallons of gas am I not buying because I'm buying these things? Okay, and it was all within this calculation of what is the price of gas and what are the trade-offs. So I think that's a whole different challenge for people who are doing category management, which always feels very unshopper-centric to me and very much more retail-centric or brand-centric. But that whole world, right, requires a different kind of thinking about value. Mm -hmm. It does. The other thing we have to address is the difference in the emotions that shoppers are walking around with today versus 2008. In 2008, people were proud of how they were managing. They had managed to pick themselves up and dust themselves off, some of us literally. After September 11th, they had managed to get back to find some joy in life. And they were proud that they could figure out how to get dinner on the table, to show up you know, with their hair and makeup done, and do that on a budget. Today, people are just plain angry. And it's, who did this to me? Why are you doing this to me? And when are you going to fix it? To some extent, that's justified because nobody planned the pandemic. Nobody planned the world events that are causing this inflation. But people are angry. And for brands to think that they can continue to take price increases... And when I walk around and see milk at six fifty a half gallon for organic milk and think, how much more is the store making on this? It's our inclination to blame somebody for taking advantage. Yeah, I do think that's a really important sentiment for us to recognize because it does talk about trust of brands, of companies at large, of retailers. It's very much reflective of that work we did that we started to call Angry Birds in 2015 before the election and the big shift in 2016. So you do see this sentiment and I think that's so much of what our work helps us do and our clients to inform their work is that feeling that changing sentiment that these little things that nobody's paying attention to. Thank you for that summary of uh, what's on people's minds when it comes to rising prices. Just quickly as we wrap up, what are we keeping an eye on in the fall? More inflation, rising prices work right? A new well study? Oh my gosh, our new well study is so exciting, Wendy, because we've just, as always, tracked social media, tracked the press, and what people are talking about, and starting to acknowledge that I can have all these friends on social media, but I am really very lonely. Loneliness is a huge new condition. The absorption with my immune system, which we learned to pay a lot of attention to over the last 
two years and all the products that are now flooding the shelves to support your immune system. Retailers doing subtle things to create senses of community, to use the store space for community. And wittingly or unwittingly, they are tapping into that loneliness for connecting with people face to face. Our working title on this study is the new wellness frontier, right? It is a new frontier. And so as we think about this, and everybody pay attention, listen up, the study will be out in September. Call us, email us, sign up, you can get an early access to it. But it is a very interesting road, again, looking at now we're talking about we went from sort of sick care to well care, and now we here we are post-pandemic in a new frontier of wellness, which I know is going to be really important for everybody to think about, again, in a broader contextual shop away, not just my aisle, my category. It truly is a new frontier because there are new conditions. The focus on immunity, gut health, loneliness, the focus on new, faster ways to access health care, and the decline in trust in the established health care system. It's just a wide-open field, bold categories. I mean, we did not used to see menstrual products displayed boldly in stores or sexual pleasure products displayed. It's all come out of the closet. And they're in really interesting and perhaps not odd places, really. We're just not used to seeing them, to your point. So there's a lot of that work that we'll be sharing as well in terms of the innovation that's going on in this wellness around the world. And it did make me remark of just how exciting this is as we come out of our COVID cocoon. So lots for everybody to pay attention to, including our fall update on rising prices, inflation, what all that means for not only the holidays, but coming into 2023. So lots on our plates, lots to share with everybody. So please do go to our website, wslstrategicretail.com. You will see a lot of free content, our great blogs, but also the details of all this new work, plus some of these new hot topic reports that look at inflation and the impact that will have and comparing the issues around 2008, to the current day. So lots out there for you. And as always, Candice, thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining us. And I suppose I have to say go Mets. Yes. Well, finally, congratulations. That's all right. Let's fall easily out of your lips, but thank you. In our office, we're taking bets on who's going to be in the World Series. So stay tuned, everybody. And not only think about the future of retail and future of shopping, but the future of baseball. Thanks, Candice. Thank you, Wendy.